Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up the week. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Well, this is a week that started off with great hope for the biofuels industry. The thinking was an announcement would be coming from EPA that uh, the 10th Circuit Court ruling on small refinery exemptions would kind of become the policy EPA would use moving forward. And this was even... To get their hopes up even more, Secretary Purdue's been going around to farm meetings saying, well, we're going to see a big cutback in the number of exemptions granted. Now word is that the administration will appeal that court ruling. Not good news for the biofuels industry. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on with Reuters political and former energy reporter Jarrett Renshaw. also want to get his thoughts on some of the things happening with the presidential campaign. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. And we'll talk taxes with Paul Neifer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. We're going to start things off with Phil Brasher from AgriPulse Communications. Phil, um... If, indeed, the administration is going to appeal that 10th Circuit Court ruling on small refinery exemptions, there's going to be an explosion from the uh, from the biofuels industry and supporting industries. Already, ag groups have been sending out uh, messages saying how much they would be against this and uh, would feel that this is really a betrayal, especially after the comments recently of Secretary Purdue. Oh, like it's a stunning turnaround. Uh, was at Commodity Classic last week uh, when uh, Secretary Purdue was there, and you're exactly right. He talked about uh, promised there would be substantial reduction after at, at the news conference. After he spoke, he used the word extensive reduction. There were rumors, uh, a lot of rumors, uh, that there was going to be an announcement that Friday afternoon. We were all expecting. Mm-hmm. expecting that, ready to report on it. Now, he did say at the press conference that they, they had hoped to announce something indicating that uh, it was, uh, they were just trying to uh, nail down the final details. And then <laughs> just <laughs> this week, the reversal that uh, apparently uh, Attorney General Barr and uh, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas had gotten to the president and they were going to appeal. Really remarkable. If this happens, to me, it further undermines the credibility of Secretary Purdue. I talked about this earlier in the week. Already, when he talks about no MFP payments or not likely, we're skeptical uh, because of what's happened in the past. When he talks trade, we wait to hear from Larry Kudlow. When we when he talks biofuels, we wait to hear from Andrew Wheeler. Uh, if indeed this turns out to be this way after what he has said, I mean... Hasn't the administration really cut out, uh, cut his legs out from under him as far as credibility when he goes out and makes these uh, uh, comments and speeches of what's going to happen? Yeah, uh, it's, I, I don't know how you operate in that situation if you're the secretary. Uh, if you're if, if your audience is going to simply have to ignore you because they don't think you have the power, the president's going to simply undermine what you. What you just said, I, it, it seems like an untenable position, but you're you're exactly right, and uh, you you have to be more and more skeptical. Uh, 
you know, of uh, pronouncements from, from USDA when they are reversed this quickly. Well, let's go back to when he was named secretary. And early on, supposedly the real advantage for agriculture was he was so close to the president. He had the president's ear. He had he was in such close contact with the president. This was going to be to agriculture's benefit. I mean, this kind of wipes that away. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about it. You know, go back to the USMCA or NAFTA. The president was going to pull out of it. Uh, much was made out of the fact that Secretary Purdue went in there with a map and showed him the um, in the importance of NAFTA and uh, the importance of not pulling out. Um, that showed showed his influence. You know, the problem for Purdue as well is that he. He doesn't have any authority over, um, you know, any direct authority over the renewable fuel standard. Um, but although I would hasten to add that we were hearing the same signals from EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, as we were not as directly, but uh, certainly lots of hints uh, that we were hearing from Purdue. That's all appears to be gone, at least today. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a problem. And that, you know, when we think about his uh, his testimony, Secretary Purdue's testimony this week on Capitol Hill, which I know you've been reporting on, you and the, your team at AgriPulse, I mean, he comes out and makes this strong statement, less than a 10% chance there'll be MFP payments this year. Well, you know, I think people were already skeptical about his, uh, his denial of uh, the chances of uh, payments this year. But now I think that would call this into question even more, just how – how much you can count on a statement like that or, or put any credence to it. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, it's also, you have to emphasize that he's just caught on the whole, USDA is really caught in the middle of this. They really don't want to influence the markets. They don't want to influence planning decisions. But, you know, the president's tweet is certainly, and the fact that it's political year is, has everybody expecting another payment Um you know, farmers, bankers, everybody pays attention to that. Um, so, yeah, well, yeah, he did. He, came he actually didn't say the 10% remark in the hearing, but he said that to uh, the reporters outside outside after the hearing, less than a 10% chance in his mm -hmm. perspective that there would be another MFP. <laughs> you know, I know it sounds like I'm coming down hard on him. I actually feel sorry for him. He's in a he's in a tough spot, and we know the president can change his mind quickly on different things. But uh, basically, the president, if he's giving Secretary Purdue those that the information to go out and say those things, then he's really hanging him out to dry. And or we're finding out that uh, Secretary Purdue's not as in touch or as in close touch or communication with the president as maybe we thought. I don't know where we're at there, but uh, it's not a good look. That's for sure. I think if indeed it, the administration is going to appeal this circuit court ruling, uh, it's a bad day for biofuels and I think a bad day, a bad look for Secretary Purdue. And it doesn't uh, doesn't help the president a whole lot in the uh, upper Midwest either. Heading into the no, it's obviously been a sore spot. Yeah, it's just when it looked like soybean growers. Yeah, just when it looked like that wound was going to heal over, he's kind of picking the scab off of it now. Yeah, I, yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm not sure I, I quite mean, get the politics of it, but there it is. Yeah, I. 
it's just an amazing reversal uh, in the course of between last Friday and, and today. So, all right, Phil, thanks a lot. Appreciate your perspective. Yep. Good to talk with you. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, thanks. Phil, Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. So this is a, a big turn of events. If indeed the administration, as reports indicate, will instead of using that 10th Circuit Court ruling on small refinery exemptions to the RFS, use it as a policy for, for future use as far as how they're going to handle them. And now it looks like they're going to appeal that ruling, giving in to what looks like pressure from uh, those in the oil industry. Wow, this is, that's a big change. We'll talk more about it coming up. Stay with us on AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ0419GTLL had a 2.3 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in North Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So again, let's let's go over the past week. Last Friday, Commodity Classic, Secretary Purdue speaking to farmers saying that we would see a drastic cutback in the number of waivers granted to the RFS by EPA. That, um, In fact, many thought there was going to be an announcement that day from EPA that uh, and the hope was for those connected with the biofuels industry that the EPA would say, we'll use this 10th Circuit Court ruling and make that the model we're going to use for granting waivers and thus fewer waivers moving forward. On Monday, we had Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Association on with us. And I remember saying to Jeff at the time, well, we've been close before to get this resolved, and then something would happen. There'd be a change, and, um, you know, hopes were dashed. And he acknowledged that, yeah, we've been close before, so we can't take this for granted. But it certainly looked like, especially with Secretary Purdue's comments repeatedly, that we would see fewer exemptions moving forward, and that announcement would be coming EPA. Then now, here we are a week later on this Friday, hearing that, the administration will probably appeal that court ruling after intervention by Attorney General Bill Barr and intense pressure from oil state senators, including Ted Cruz from Texas. Now it looks like that the administration will appeal that ruling. As I said earlier, if that happens, it's a bad day for the biofuels industry and it's a very bad day and a bad look for Secretary Purdue. All right, let's, uh, well, that would be bad news. When we talk taxes, a lot of times that seems like bad news to us. Maybe there'll be some good news. Let's talk about it with Paul Niefer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. Paul, how are you? Good, Seth. You're, you really didn't give me a very good lead in, you know, talking about uh, uh, RFS, and then now we're going to start talking about taxes. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, but it is what it is. Kind of a double whammy. I, 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 I was getting my hopes up. I thought this was the week we we would get this exemption thing put kind of put to rest, and this would open up a, a big year for the biofuels industry to really take off again. But this would really be a setback. We'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. 
Uh, let's let, let's talk uh, let's talk taxes. First of all, any new tax laws or anything we should be aware of? You know, the the only thing, and we may have discussed it before, but there was a, a tax law passed at the end of the year related to retirement plans. Plus the extenders, you know, all the extenders, but I think everybody knows that by now. But, uh, you know, the essentially on retirement uh, for farmers getting close to retirement under the old laws, they had to start taking out their required minimum distribution starting at age 70 and a half. And, of course, a lot of people are like, well, when do I turn 70 and a half? Um, now that's been postponed until age 72, so they can start taking money out. Uh, they can wait till 72. And then also... For the older farmers that are still farming and want to put money into an IRA, they're now allowed to do that under the old law. They had to stop at age seven, eight and a half. Now they can, as long as they're making at least the five or six or seven thousand dollars, whatever the limit might be, they can go ahead and fund an IRA if they want to. So, so pretty good news. The one bad news, but I don't think it applies to many of our farmers out there is when somebody passes away and they still have a fairly large amount in their IRA account and it's going to their kids or to somebody that's not their spouse, typically not their spouse, uh, now those beneficiaries have to cash in that IRA within 10 years. Under the old laws, they could uh, do it extended, clear out to, for their lifetime, but now they have to do it within 10 years. So that's, that's messed up some estate planning uh, for what I would call the more wealthy clients out there, maybe there are some farmers in that situation, but I don't deal with many that that would be applicable to. Uh, let's talk. This is a story we haven't talked about in a while. Uh, the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives um, came out just a few days ago, uh, giving their support and appreciation to Treasury Secretary Mnuchin's commitment to members of the House Ways and Means Committee to work with that committee and the Senate Finance Committee to ensure that regulations implementing Section 199A of the tax code follow Congress's intent in fixing the grain glitch. Um, and he said, our, our job is to implement the law. Our job is not to make policy, is what uh, Secretary Mnuchin said. And um, this, this is an issue that's been around for some time now. We're trying to get it cleared up. And uh, what, what, how do you see this as far as uh, the tax code applying on for farmer co-ops in this grain situation? Yeah, you know, the key, and, and it could get pretty technical, but the, the key is that cooperatives under the old rules could calculate their uh, uh, domestic production activity deduction, the DPAD. They could calculate it both on their patrons in, uh, patron income, so the income dealing with their patrons, and on non-patron income. Now, there was a couple court cases that were winding their way through Congress that were ultimately decided in favor of the uh, of the cooperatives. So, essentially, they can calculate their DPAD on all of their net income. Now, the IRS and the proposed regulations that they released last June said, well, no, our interpretation is that you can only calculate the DPAD based on your patron income, and you don't get any DPAD on your non-patron income. Well, that wasn't really the, as far as my understanding, that wasn't the intent of Congress. Congress said specifically in the code, you're supposed to follow the old regulations, what the law was in effect, including, again, these two tax court cases that came out after that date that supported that. So, so that's the key. They're just trying to say, hey, IRS, you're, you're making new law here. 
you should stay with the old law because that's what the intent was when we did the green glitch fix. So I, I think IRS is going to listen, but uh, you know, especially if the secretary comes out and says that, uh, um, maybe because we'll, uh, again, these are proposed regulations; they're not final regulations. Hopefully, the final ones will clarify that. We're talking with Paul Neefer, CPA, with Clifton Larson Allen. Paul, it is an election year, so there will be a lot of uh, proposals uh, floated out there when it comes to taxes on both sides. What are some of the things you've heard so far that we have caught your attention? Well, certainly we know now it's down between Biden and Bernie, the two Bs. Um, I think this is going to be the first election ever where the two candidates combined age is going to be over 150 years. So I, I think that's sort of interesting. But uh, we know that both of them are proposing uh, some additional taxes on what, quote, the wealthy, either based on income or based on net worth. Um, you know, I think the latest numbers I've heard on Biden's tax over 10 years, it raised $4 trillion, and the average increase on, on a wealthy person would be about $122,000. I think that was the number I had seen in an article um, yeah, I, I don't think either one of those are going. Those are going to be DOA, uh, assuming the Senate doesn't change. Uh, as long as the Senate is in Republican uh, control, uh, there's no way either of those taxes will go through. The, the one thing I, I would caution our farmers out there that uh, really I think is floating under the scenes is on the estate tax area. I, I think um, I don't know if the estate tax itself is going to change. But I'm starting to hear more and more chatter about some type of capital gains tax at death, similar to what Canada has. So in that situation, a farmer that bought land for $1,000 an acre, it's now worth ten grand an acre, and he passes away. Under the old rules, no income tax is owed. The heirs got to step up in bases, and they could sell it for 10000 not owe any tax. Well, under this capital gains tax at death, you know, the proposal is, hey, that final estate tax return is going to report $9,000 of gain on that farmland. In return, they might eliminate the estate tax, but I, I think for most of our farm families out there, they'd rather have the current system on estate taxes than be hit with some type of capital gains tax at death. So that's something I'm, I'm hearing more and more chatter on. I don't know if it'll ever... And it's also, I think, to some degree coming from both sides. So, uh, uh, And then... I, I think eventually we're going to get some type of value-added tax. Uh, I, I think the uh, the idea of us not having a value-added tax, uh, you know, that day will come somewhere down the pike. Well, it's always interesting uh, to watch what's being proposed in, in campaigns. It's, a lot of times we, we think, well, they propose that it's never going to happen, but it sometimes can give you an idea of what could come depending on the outcome of the election and at least what whoever wins will be pushing for in uh, the next four years. Well, and certainly, let's look back at Trump. You know, he had certainly promised a, a middle-class tax cut, some other tax cuts, and, and to some degree, he came through on his promise. Uh, we, we certainly got some tax cuts. Now, the other side is going to say most of it went to the wealthy, but I can tell you a lot of my middle-class uh, taxpayers got a pretty good-sized tax cut. Now, some didn't, but quite a few of them got a pretty healthy tax cut, so I, I think he did come through on that. All right, Paul, thanks a lot. We'll talk again. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Paul Neifer, CPA, Clifton Larson Allen. Coming up next, we'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. Lots going on with the coronavirus and other issues impacting the markets. We'll get an update coming up. So stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA. 
There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ1859 GTLL had a 2.9 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in South Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Hey, let's talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, always good to talk with you. I was just thinking, you know, we talk a lot about outlook and get your thoughts on what's going to happen with the markets. And this coronavirus just shows you what can come up unexpectedly and change everything. It really does. It's a black swan event, that very definition of a black swan event. You know, it's, some people argue whether I was around to hear this in person or not, but I've read Franklin Roosevelt when he was first inaugurated into office in 1933 stated the famous saying, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And as I told our clients again this morning, the greatest threat to the markets right now is not the death toll from coronavirus. It is the fear that it creates. It's fear that causes politicians to take unusual steps to shut down economies. It's fear that causes central banks to take actions that add to the fear of the markets. It's fear that causes people to stay at home and change their consumption patterns. And it's fear in the markets that those things will happen that creates this panic selling. And then you throw in the algo traders that amplify every move. The computers are trading the momentum. They will trade it someday to the upside, and we'll be talking about how high is too high. Um, But for now, the downside risk is the greatest risk. Buyers are being cautious. The path of least resistance, lower, whatever cliche from the markets you want to use, fear is what's driving the markets right now. You can sustain a rally. An individual asset can sustain a rally in that environment, but it needs a stronger story to do so. And you have to look long and hard to try to find a commodity that does have a strong enough story to do so. Yeah, you look at the ripple effect of this. I mean, workers not being able to av- available to unload ships, uh, people not going to restaurants or to stores, uh, people not flying on airplanes. I mean, the, the the ways this is impacting world economies, I think, is beyond what a lot of us were even thinking when when we first started hearing about coronavirus. It really is, and I've heard repeatedly, well, people still need to eat. Um, But, uh, you know, we saw in China where the coronavirus was first a a significant issue. And so uh, our team in China started looking at the data, and they found that for urban residents, eating from home led to an increase in red meat consumption of 17% and 28% increase for poultry consumption, declining grain consumption by 10%, and vegetable consumption went down by 32%. And so when people eat out, they tend to take, they tend to eat more red meat, uh, more poultry, and they tend to uh, waste more. In other words, if you're at home and you have something left over, you stick it in the refrigerator and you have it the next day. If you're at a restaurant, you just send it back to the kitchen, so to speak, and it's thrown away. 
And so when people stay home, it does change consumption patterns. We do see demand for the higher quality meats, uh, the higher quality foods, I should say, the proteins that do go down. And that's certainly being played out in the, in the cattle market today. We're seeing the latest slaughter data that came out yesterday was showing production of uh, beef up 10% year on year. Well, with that kind of production, we can't afford to see demand slump. And so traders are worried that it's going to because people staying home. Do you ever make that up? I mean, there's a feeling, as you said, people have got to eat. And maybe it's a pent-up demand. And when this is all done, that everything, you know, the kind of an explosion of demand. But do you ever make up what's being lost in the meantime? A little bit of it, but not fully. I mean, if you go to a restaurant, you don't finish your portion, it goes back to the kitchen and is thrown away. You're not going to re- recoup that. Um, now, going back to the consumer, eating at home tends to go more toward a staple diet, a little bit more on the starch diets than the meats. Um, they're going to have more of a hunger for meat when they come out of this, and so you do recoup a little bit of it, but there's a lot of waste consumption. Is that a reason to be doom and gloom and we're never going to see higher prices? Absolutely not. We will see a rebound in these markets. We're not going to recover all that demand, and and a great example, that's energy, and of course, it's one reason crude oil market's down over 7% this morning is when there are travel restrictions, and not just travel restrictions, but people are no longer taking as many trips, especially overseas. Airlines are shutting down routes because there's not enough passengers on them. That's a direct loss of energy consumption that won't be recouped. And so that's kind of setting the tone. So there's a couple examples, not just the food, but also the energy sector. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. Uh, I've mentioned to you before, I thought two really bright spots for this year for the markets would be, uh, you know, protein demand, so we would feed more to livestock, and that was going to be a, a great market to boost. And I thought, uh, and I still hope, biofuels, a, a resurgence there. And I thought we were going to get a big ruling, uh, a big announcement this week from EPA about the cutting back of uh, the waivers to the small refinery exemptions kind of led to believe that by Secretary Purdue. Now it sounds like the administration is going to challenge and appeal that uh, court ruling. It kind of makes you wonder if we're going to have the big rebound this year that we'd hoped for in renewable fuels. It seems to me like we've got a couple of real setbacks here, at least at the first part of the year. Yeah, absolutely. When I see delays coming in EPA announcements, that tells me the lobbyists are working hard. And uh, I think that's probably behind it. I mean, certainly the energy sector is not going to, the big oil is not going to allow this to just go. And, well, I guess we lost. Uh, They're they're not going to do that. Uh, They're going to fight this hard as well. Now, that doesn't mean all is lost for the ethanol sector or the biofuel sector. Uh, There's still some encouraging signs coming out of China that they're inquiring about ethanol. And uh, so that's still a possibility we could see some significant sales of ethanol and distillers grains to China. Now for distillers grains, the retaliatory tariffs look like they're going to be waived, like soybeans, etc. Um, but we need to get the anti-dumping tariffs waived there as well. That may take a little bit more time. But if we do, there is significant interest in U.S. DDGs, um, and there's interest in ethanol if that happens. And that's a question of timing. I, I feel confident it will happen. The question is, will it happen in time for the current marketing year or not? 
let's look to planting time. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot. If we got a good window for planting and could really get farmers could really get out there i think one we might see more corn acres than expected but i'm also wondering about with stocks we already have grain and storage that we already have if we had all of a sudden a big planting window and they could really go at it uh wouldn't that put a lot of downward pressure on markets and that's kind of the fear of the markets being uh uh priced in right now as well. The justification for going down is the expectation we're going to increase acres. I think the market is kind of expecting 94, 95 million acres. It was sobered up a little bit when uh, Farm Futures Producer Survey called for 96.6 million acres, and that kind of opened the door for others to say, well, maybe it will be more. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of people in North Dakota that aren't real excited about coming back with as much corn. Uh, South Dakota, it's a little different story. They'd like to pick up some corn acres from last year. But I know across much of the Midwest, there's there's more of a reluctance to believe the story in soybeans, and uh, maybe corn is a safer uh, crop, and so that's giving the leanings toward maybe some higher acreage. What about the decisions farmers have that are holding on to grain, but worried, concerned about the quality of that grain in storage. Uh, do you see any movement there? We are seeing a little bit of movement, and the one thing I'd certainly want to do is encourage any farmers got corn in storage to be checking it regularly because we're seeing some of this corn add moisture through the winter. Some of the low test weight uh, corn that went in maybe a little bit wet is struggling with quality, and we are seeing some farmers start to move that corn. Um, but overall, farmers simply don't want to move it. They don't like the prices. They have some cash from the government, and they don't want to sell it. A lot of that corn coming out of North Dakota right now is 48 to 52 test weight. And barring something else like coronavirus, I mean, the next traditional thing we would look to as far as big market news would be the planning intentions report. Planning attentions and quarterly stocks. Quarterly stocks would take on some significant importance this year because you take a wet, low-test weight crop and put it in the bin, you're going to have shrinkage in the bin, and you're going to use more for feed consumption than what you normally do to get the same rate of gain. And uh, mostly the June report, but we could even see a little bit of a surprise in the March 31st quarterly stocks report. And like you said, planning intentions will set the tone on acres. And on coronavirus, it, I mean, it's not going to be one of those things where one day they say, oh, it's all done. So uh, it would be a gradual improvement, I guess, right? No one big event that the markets would react to. A decline in the growth rate of the number of cases and then people simply getting wary of hearing it, meaning they start to get used to it. They start to get acclimated just like we do the tor- typical influenza, and so they quit worrying about it quite as much. The headlines start to disappear, and then the markets go back to trading fundamentals, and they say, oh, look, we got some bargain opportunities here. Yeah, we we'll look forward to getting back to that and getting for this to get under control. And we see those cases going down, but uh, not there yet, it doesn't look like. All right, Arlen, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Well, up next, we're going to talk with Jarrett Rinshaw, formerly an energy reporter for Reuters. So we'll talk about this biofuel situation. But now he's a political reporter. He's been out on the campaign trail, and certainly a lot has changed in the uh, presidential race here the last uh, few days. We'll get his thoughts on both of those topics when we continue here on AOA. 
There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres, that's smart. In 2019, trials across 10 Midwest states, Credence Soybeans with Liberty Link GT27 averaged 1.8 bushels per acre more than the competitive Enlist E3 soybeans and 1.5 bushels per acre more than the competitive Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credence with Liberty Link GT27. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Joined now by Jarrett Renshaw, formerly a national energy reporter for Reuters, now political reporter. Jarrett, good to talk with you again. Got a lot to talk about on both fronts. Um, you know very well what it's going to be like with the biofuels industry if indeed, as these reports indicate, the administration now seemingly has changed course again and now seemingly is going to appeal the 10th Circuit Court ruling on small refinery exemptions after being led to believe by Secretary Purdue and others that just the opposite would happen, that uh, we would see substantially fewer exemptions moving forward, that the, that 10th Circuit Court ruling would kind of be the uh, the blueprint that EPA would use moving forward. Now it looks like all that's changed. This is not going to sit well in the biofuels community. It is not, but, uh, you know, and I don't have super inside information on, on all the permutations here, but I can give you my best read on what, what I see. It, it, you can see from the White House's perspective, you, you, if you appeal, you buy time, um, and perhaps you push this beyond the November election, um, maybe, uh, or whatever. And then even the end result, it's up to a judge, and it's, it kind of stays out of the political realm. Um, and, uh, you know, one side's not going to like whatever the judge rules, right? We can agree that one side's not going to like it. Um, and it's much easier to make the case that a judge decided it than, um, than you. But that being said, you know, the biofuel community is going to be well aware that he has the opportunity to not appeal it and let it stay, um, and have that thing and have the rule applied, uh, nationally. So, um, you know, and to the extent that the biofuel community wanted that, they should they should hold uh, the administration accountable f- for for that. Yeah, some interesting things what you just said there. I, th- I think a lot of people feel even if they appeal it, they would eventually lose that appeal. But that doesn't help right now for the biofuels community. Now, may it you know as you said, it may appease for the time being the the uh, oil supporters. So, is the president saying well? I, Okay, I risk losing support of the of, of some rule votes there, but maybe I make it up with another round of MFP payments uh, later this year or something like that, and that that'll cover me on that. It, it, it's hard to to get into the the mind of the president on this, but you have to wonder what the thinking is, and he has to certainly look at it through a political lens in a, in an election year. Sure, in my experience, and this is this is been repeatedly on reporting on the um, small refining and, and the ethanol industry in general, is that the last person that gets in the administration, specifically Trump's ear, usually wins the day. Um, and whoever gets to make that case last, and, uh, you know, that's why you see these vacillation between these wild swings and, and policy changes. So I'm guessing that there was a, a, a refining state senator that had some opportunity to get some face time with Trump in, in the last 48 hours and made the case that, you know, you, you need Republican allies in Congress. You need Republican senators. We saw the impeachment happen. Um, 
and the the Republican uh, support in the Senate was almost ironclad. It certainly was ironclad in Congress. And you, you start losing, you know, find one thing to look at voters is also kind of, you know, they need he needs protection in in Congress. And you have to play ball with those senators, just like you have to play ball with Grassley. So my guess is it just feels like he's just delaying any kind of real decision and, 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 and that way not ruffling the feathers of, of you know, large swaths of, uh, of people he's going to need. And the other part of this, and I talked a lot about this earlier and have been talking about it for some time, I think he's really uh, he's really undermined the credibility of Secretary Purdue, who goes out and makes these statements that, uh, you know, we're going to see – much fewer, significantly fewer exemptions moving forward, granted, and then all of a sudden now it looks like they're going to appeal. That doesn't make him look very good when he goes out and makes those no. statements. You know, he's been, Secretary Purdue has been an interesting character to watch in this uh, in this play, right? He, I feel like he's he's often kind of gone out and set the bar higher than where the administration eventually lands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that he's going to pay a price right i mean because you know you know just as a journalist when i when i see his public comments over time i've grown less cynical of the validity of those right just because a lot of times what he says doesn't come and it's not his fault or maybe he has a different i'm not suggesting that he's lying i'm just saying that his public comments have become over time less meaningful Yep. I've been making that point all week. Uh, If he talks trade, we wait to hear from Larry Kudlow. If he talks biofuels, we wait to hear from Andrew Wheeler. He's not the credible source that we uh, look to on a lot of these topics now. Uh, We're looking at the messenger more and more uh, to whether or not we really believe or trust the message. And and as you said, he's in a tough spot. We know the president can change his mind quickly on a lot of these things, and it happens a lot. Talking with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. Real quick, Jarrett, uh, wow, what a shift in the presidential race this week on the Democratic side. No doubt, no doubt. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, Tuesday morning, I think, uh, you know, most Americans woke up thinking, you know, the the Americans that are paying attention to this, that there was going to be a tough tough battle. Bernie Sanders was supposed to lead the day, at least in terms of delegates, uh, after all the Super Tuesday votes came in. And it was quite the opposite. You know, Joe Biden came in, did a massive sweep uh, of, of many states that we thought were going to go to Bernie. And, and now, at this point, as we sit here today, it looks like it's Biden's race to lose. And uh, Bernie's got an uphill battle. There's a lot of favorable states for Joe um, coming up. The South looks like it's strong. Florida looks strong. Some of those Midwest states that are going to be, you know, Bernie's that might would otherwise been favorable for Bernie seem to be now toss-ups. And, uh, you know, what, what, and this always happens, right? What, what, what journalists and pundits predict is going to be a long, you know, maybe a convention um, ends up getting settled months before that. Um, and this right now that has all the makings of, um, of a Biden victory here. I think Michigan's very important. We'll see, we'll see where Michigan goes on, on Tuesday. Certainly keeping your job interesting, and we'll uh, we'll stay in touch with you throughout the race. Thank you very much. All right, Mike. Take it easy. Good to talk with you. Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. Well, coming up on Monday, we're going to talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, get a Washington update from him, and I'm sure he'll have some very strong feelings on uh, the decision by the administration, if indeed that's what they're going to do is appeal that Tenth Circuit Court ruling. 
Uh, we'll find out what uh, Senator Grassley has to say about that. And we'll talk with an executive with the U.S.-China Business Council about the coronavirus. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.